a Hamas leader sharing bold words on camera. China saw our attack as a dazzling example. The leader claims Beijing is taking notes on the terrorist attack on Israel and could replicate it for Taiwan. Contradicting messages from a defense forum in Beijing, top Russian and Chinese officials saying closer ties with the West are in order, while dumping criticism on Washington. A surge of social media tributes for China's former premier after news of his death met with strict censorship. Why is Beijing trying to keep the message quiet? And a New York-based arts group facing oppression in a democratic nation for nearly two decades. Why is South Korea caving to China under a recently elected president friendly to the U.S.? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. When Hamas rained thousands of rockets down on Israel in a sudden attack three weeks ago, did China and Russia benefit? Here's what Hamas's leader is saying about the brutal attack and what it could mean for Moscow and Beijing. Russia has benefited from our attack. China saw our attack as a dazzling example. The ex-chairman of the Hamas terrorist group made the statement in an interview at the Middle East Media Research Institute last week. In it, he called for cooperation with China and Russia. As for how the surprise attack benefited Russia, he said it diverted U.S. focus away from the Ukraine conflict. The Hamas's leader then added Russia intends to use the Hamas attack as teaching material for its military. And that China is taking inspiration from the Hamas attack when it comes to Taiwan. The Chinese are thinking of carrying out a plan in Taiwan. Neither Russia nor China have condemned the Hamas's terrorist attack. The two exercised their veto power in the UN Security Council to block a U.S. effort to support Israel last week. China has put pressure on Israel to stop bombing Gaza. Mixed signals toward the West coming out of a Monday security forum in Beijing. China's second most senior military commander says he aims to boost defense ties with Washington, while Moscow said it was open to discussing security issues. That's as Beijing-Moscow relations grow ever friendlier. But the Chinese and Russian military chiefs also heaped criticism onto the U.S. Certain countries keep stirring up troubles around the world. They deliberately create turbulences, meddle in regional affairs, interfere in other countries' internal affairs, and instigate color revolution. Russia's defense minister blamed the West for getting involved in its war on Ukraine and warned of conflict between global superpowers. While the top Chinese official noted that Beijing's military wouldn't tolerate Western support for Taiwanese independence. The Chinese Communist Party claims the island as its territory, though it has never ruled Taiwan. China and the U.S. have had no high-level military communication since August 2022. Beijing suspended talks after then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. The radio silence has sparked fear over a potential clash in the South China Sea. Former Chinese Premier Li Keqiang is dead. Details of his passing faced immediate censorship inside China. But Chinese people around the world still found ways to commemorate him. Here's what one citizen from Li's hometown had to say. Watch. They're expressing their wishes by mourning him in this way, because under the current circumstances, people may be too depressed and have many, many disappointments. They're hugely disappointed. Li's passing last Friday garnered huge public attention. On Weibo, the Chinese version of Twitter, the hashtag about his death exceeded 1 billion views in just a few hours. But Beijing's censorship engine appeared to step in quickly, 
Now, almost all comments on the topic have been removed from social media. Even his name, Li Keqiang, has been blocked. The South China Morning Post reported that a student counselor at a university in Beijing said he didn't want students to organize memorials because it could lead to an event similar to what happened in 1989. At the time, following the deaths of former Chinese Communist Party leader Hu Yaobang, thousands of students gathered in Tiananmen Square to mourn. The demonstration triggered a nationwide pro-democracy movement that lasted for two months. It ended in a massacre, with the Chinese military opening fire on unarmed students and citizens. Former leader Hu Yaobang has been considered more open-minded to reforms than others. Similarly, Li Keqiang is being remembered for his promise that China would remain open to the rest of the world. Memorial activities were held for him in at least two areas over the weekend: Hefei City, Li's hometown, and Zhengzhou City, where he worked. The line of people waiting to pay respects stretched for more than half a mile. A billboard bearing Li's image was also set up. China affairs analyst Tang Jingyuan said people are seeking an outlet for their resentment toward current Chinese leader Xi Jinping, and that Li's passing is giving them an opportunity. These memorials are not because of how great and good Li Keqiang was, but because everyone thinks Xi Jinping is bad. Tang described Li's tenure as premier as mediocre because Xi Jinping had the final say on matters of state. Tang went on to say that many Chinese people see themselves in similar situation. Under the iron fist of the CCP, represented by Xi Jinping, they are beaten to the ground and almost powerless to fight back. They implicitly regard Li Keqiang as one of them, suffering the same fate. It's an outpouring of empathy. Tang believes a large-scale movement is unlikely to pop up again in China right now. That's because 30-plus years ago, Chinese people would speak out directly and demand political change. But now, people mainly complain about economic losses. For the first time, the U.S. has started buying Japanese seafood to supply its military in the country. That's in a bid to offset China's import ban on the country's seafood. Beijing imposed it after Japan released treated wastewater from its Fukushima plant in August. In announcing the initiative, U.S. Ambassador to Japan Ram Emanuel said it would begin with purchases of scallops before expanding to all types of Japanese seafood. China will continue its economic coercion. But the best way we have proven in all the instances to kind of wear out China's economic coercion is come to the aid and assistance of the targeted country or industry. So this is one step. Emmanuel said the purchases would feed soldiers and be sold in shops and restaurants on military bases. He said the U.S. military had not previously purchased local seafood in Japan. Beijing was once the biggest buyer of Japanese seafood globally. The regime says its import ban is due to food safety fears. The UN nuclear watchdog has vouched for the safety of Japan's water release. Next, a special segment shines a light on the Chinese Communist Party's infiltration into one democratic country, with communist China to its west and a shared border with communist North Korea. Democratic values and the way of life South Koreans enjoy are facing an imminent challenge. One of several major theaters in the country has blocked an American performing arts tour from taking the stage. What's the tour about, and why is the Chinese Communist Party pushing back on it in Korea? NTD dives into the history of the Chinese regime's interference with Xinyuan and why the free world needs to know. The long arm of Chinese censorship reaching a key U.S. ally, South Korea. 
Major theaters in Seoul now declining to rent their venues to Shenyun, an American performing arts company whose dance and music portrayed China before communism. Epic Times investigations show that a Chinese embassy in Korea has for years been threatening Korean theaters with economic and political retaliation if they let Shenyun perform. In 2016, KBS Hall, owned by Korea's national broadcaster, canceled a contract with Shenyun after the Chinese embassy sent them a letter warning it will be detrimental to the relationship between Korea and China if the theater proceeded with Shenyun performances. A Korean court ruling in this case explicitly pointed to potential economic retaliation from Beijing, stating that if KBS cannot export its broadcasting contents to China, it may face huge losses. But Korea is not the only democratic country in which the CCP is using its political and economic leverage to censor free art. Chinese embassies have sent similar letters in trying to stop Shenyun from performing to theaters and elected officials in the US, Canada, Europe, and Australia. In one case in Spain, the Chinese ambassador there admitted on tape that he personally warned a Madrid theater that it would lose the Chinese market if they didn't cancel Shenyun. But why would a powerful regime use all kinds of tactics to interfere with a classical Chinese dance show? Xingyun describes its mission as to revive China's five-millennia-old traditional culture, which has been largely destroyed under decades of communist rule. The group's performers also practice Falun Gong, a meditation practice whose practitioners are persecuted by the Chinese regime. Some company members have fled religious persecution themselves or have family members still imprisoned in China. Alongside dances portraying scenes from imperial dynasties and literary classics, some of the show's pieces also depict the story of what Falun Gong practitioners are facing in China today or attacks on Buddhist temples during the Cultural Revolution. The show's perspectives on Chinese culture, history, and spirituality have put it on the CCP's target list. But it's also these values that have drawn millions of audience members from around the world. Xingyun now tours in nearly 200 cities and 20 countries every year. While the CCP's campaigns to censor the show have failed in most countries, they are making headway in Korea. How Korea and the U.S. act on it could decide if China can exert control over more key allies all at a crossroads, bowing to CCP pressure or upholding values shared by the free world. So what's driving the Chinese Communist Party to leverage its sabotage campaign against Shenyun outside its own borders? And why should freedom-loving people around the world be concerned? NTD's Steve Lance sat down with Mr. Louis An, production director and show coordinator for Shenyun in South Korea, for more. Shenyun faces a lot of adversity from uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, we've seen things like uh, disinformation, sabotaging the buses that the Shenyun performers uh, travel in to, to the theaters, slashing the tires, um, a variety of things, even uh, pressuring theaters uh, throughout the world to not invite uh, Shenyun and not host them. Why are we seeing this type of resistance from the Chinese Communist Party? 
Yeah, here's some, some main reason. Um, uh, CCP uh, starts the uh, persecution against the Falun Gong in uh, China in 1999. CCP is afraid of expose of their uh, persecution in China, mm. and uh, so that's why they uh, try to um, uh, uh, interfere as much as they can. Do you have any evidence that the uh, CCP is behind this and some of the actions that they've taken? Yeah, we have uh, many uh, evidence. CCP uses all kinds of uh, methods to interfere with the Shining performance in South Korea. And then uh, one of the examples is they uh, send official letter to the theater or city government to pressure them to cancel the show or cancel the uh, contra uh, contract. And so pressure is one thing, but following through on that pressure is another. Can you tell us about the instances where uh, the Korean uh, theater in, in Korea has canceled a Shenyun performance? There are so many uh, cases uh, canceling show in South Korea. And the, one of the uh, uh, standout is the KBS case in 2016. Uh, we had uh, almost sold out show. They sent out notice uh, to cancel the venue rental contract. And then we uh, take that appeal to the court, and then the court cited our uh, appeal. Uh, after that, KBS submit uh, their appeal again with the official letter from the uh, Chinese embassy. So we can, that's on evidence. And earlier this year, there is a media report about this issue. They had an interview with uh, a Chinese embassy person and then they clearly mentioned to the reporter that they're going to intervene with uh, activities for Falun Dafa and Shenyin. Foreign investment into China is declining. According to the Financial Times, foreign investment in China fell by one-third in September compared to the previous year, the largest drop in nearly a decade. Foreign investment into China has seen double-digit percentage drops every month since May. Some analysts say that foreign companies are trying to get their profits out of the country as fast as they can, and that seems to be a trend. According to China's State Administration of Foreign Exchange, more money left the country in September than came in. Net outflow reached nearly $54 billion, marking the highest outflow since January 2016. The U.S. in recent months has moved to restrict American investment in mainland China. At the same time, Beijing's revision of its anti-espionage law in July may have also contributed. That's over concerns of arbitrary detention, raids on foreign businesses inside China, and the law's vague description of what could be seen as espionage. Chinese property giant Evergrande getting one last chance. On Monday, a critical hearing for the company was adjourned until December 4th. A Hong Kong judge ruled this was the company's final opportunity to come up with a restructuring plan. If it fails, Evergrande will likely face liquidation. Here's more. The giant developer has over $300 billion in liabilities and defaulted on its offshore debt in 2021. It's become a symbol of a crisis that has engulfed China's real estate sector, which accounts for about a quarter of the country's economy. That leaves investors around the world worried what might happen if giant companies like Evergrande face a chaotic collapse. 
Now the court says the developer has to come up with a revised restructuring plan before the December hearing. Its previous plan was thrown into doubt last month after news that the firm's founder was under investigation for criminal activities. Evergrande has also been barred from issuing new debt due to a probe into its flagship property unit. One lawyer for a major group of creditors said they supported the court adjournment, saying they would still prefer a restructuring to liquidation. Evergrande did not respond to a request for comment. Coming up days after the sudden death of China's former second-in-command, shockwaves are lingering among many Chinese people. Formerly at the helm of the regime's economic sector, Li Keqiang had subtly railed against the Communist Party's narratives. From warning of the financial harm of pandemic restrictions to admitting 600 million people lived under the poverty line. Will his passing shake Beijing's leadership? And could we see a nationwide protest? To discuss, we sat down with Bradley Thayer, the director of China Policy at the Center for Security Policy. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Following the death of former Chinese Premier Li Keqiang, the CCP is keeping an eye on public tributes. Is a nationwide protest incoming? And what impact could his passing have on the country? We spoke with Bradley Thayer, Director of China Policy at the Center for Security Policy, to discuss. Bradley Thayer, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back on the show. Well, it's my pleasure to join you once again. To begin, China's former Premier Li Keqiang died early on Friday. Now, what's the impact his passing is likely to have on the country? Well, his the impact of his passing really is are, are two major elements. One, uh, it shows that um, Xi Jinping might have had a role in the death. It's it's uh, he evidently died in a pool. Uh, if the death is natural. It eliminates a potential rival, which is useful for Xi Jinping. And if his death was not natural, uh, then it also not only eliminates a rival for Xi Jinping, but certainly consolidates uh, his power. Thirdly, in broader con excuse me, secondly, in broader context, it shows uh, that um, opposition to Xi Jinping from established party officials uh, is waning. Hu Jintao was thrown out of the 20th Party Congress. Zhang Zemin passed away. Uh, now, with Li's death, uh, with foreign ministers disappearing, defense ministers disappearing, generals uh, disappearing, it's quite clear that his grip and his control over the party uh, is uh, tightening, um, which is not a good thing for the Chinese people and not a good thing for stability in international politics. I want to zoom in on some of these differences. So as an economist, Li took different stances from Xi Jinping, whether that was on the COVID lockdowns, even on poverty. Li Keqiang had a very famous speech where he said 600 million Chinese people were living under the poverty line without saying they were living under the poverty line. How do you read these different comments he was taking from the party narrative? Well, it shows that there were uh, profound tensions in, within the party uh, concerning its uh, economic policy and its um, 
the emphasis that it should place on certain priorities. What you, has happened, however, is under Xi, uh, the economy, of course, has had this profound downturn uh, post-COVID uh, with the collapse of the, essentially the real estate market and with other structural problems coming to the fore in the Chinese uh, economy. So what Li might have done differently, uh, I think, is at one level moot. Uh, it really shows that uh, the uh, uh, the policies that Xi dominated and brought into uh, force uh, have really brought China to the economic crisis uh, that it faces. And the big question then is, how will it weather that and whether it will uh, weather uh, those crises uh, successfully. And given that Li Keqiang was an economist and a former premier, what does his passing mean for China's economy and more broadly the U.S.-China economic ties? Well, he was seen among the engagement school in the United States as a positive force, um, an individual who was, uh, if you will, um, to borrow from Margaret Thatcher in her comments about Gorbachev, a man with whom you could do uh, business. Uh, I think his passing shows that um, the alternatives or the um, uh, potential futures that do not entail a large role, a large role for Xi Jinping uh, are occluded. Uh, they're disappearing. Uh, the party is Xi's party. Uh, and alternative voices within it uh, are being uh, removed uh, by um, retirements or by eliminations uh, of one means uh, or another. And Bradley, you and I have talked about how Xi Jinping is doing more of a return to Mao on the ideological front, as you also mentioned, the real estate crisis, China's economy is not doing well. On the political front, though, in terms of Li's passing, how might we see unrest or are we not going to see anything happen? I think it's less likely that we'll see anything happen. What you might have would be the symbols of protests um, that surrounded um, China in the in, the, uh, in 1989, uh, where you had significant unrest in 88, really, and then in 1989, or the white page protest that we witnessed really December uh, of uh, last year, December into January, uh, 22 and uh, 23. Um, the resentment towards Xi and the resentment towards the party uh, is ample. Uh, however, it's devilishly hard in a way that it was not under, in Deng's China uh, to protest against uh, Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party because of the effectiveness of the uh, omnipresent and its seemingly omniscient uh, surveillance state uh, that uh, exists. So there should be protests. But uh, I think as a practical matter, there won't be because it's so difficult to mobilize. Bradley Thayer, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure to join you. Thank you. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.